are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the January 15th reading of Sports News. My name is Philip Bradbury. Well, happy MLK Day to all of you from all of us at Aftersight. That's Audio Information Network's new name. As usual, there's a lot to get into in the world of sports. The coaching carousel continues, so let's jump right in. Lots to talk about in the world of NFL football coaching changes. This article came out on January 11th, and it's written by the ESPN staff. came out on ESPN.com. Three teams have fired their head coaches before the 2023 NFL regular season came to a close last Sunday, and five have followed suit in the days since. The Raiders started the coaching carousel on November 1st, parting ways with coach Josh McDaniels and general manager Dave Ziegler. On November 27th, the Panthers fired Frank Reich, who has now been fired in back-to-back seasons. Then, on December 15th, the Chargers dismissed Coach Brandon Staley and GM Tom Telesco, while the Falcons dismissed Arthur Smith after their season finale. The Commanders then fired Coach Ron Rivera on Monday, and on Tuesday, the Titans fired Mike Rabel. News broke on Wednesday that the Seattle Seahawks had relieved Pete Carroll of head coaching duties, but are keeping him in the organization as an advisor. On Thursday morning, the New England Patriots and coach Bill Belichick agreed to part ways, ending their 24-year run that included six Super Bowl championships. Also, seven coordinators have been let go over the past three months, and there will be more openings soon. So here's everything you need to know about the latest NFL head coach movement, the news and intel on open jobs, pros and cons for each opening, and the candidates who could be in the mix for interviews. Plus, we have updates on offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator openings as well. Here are the head coach openings. New England Patriots, former coach Bill Belichick, he agreed to part ways on January 11th. His record with the Patriots is 296 wins against 133 losses over 24 seasons, which includes the playoffs. So what happened? After meeting periodically in the days after their Week 18 loss to the Jets, owner Robert Kraft and Belichick agreed to part ways. Belichick was 29 wins against 38 losses in four regular seasons since quarterback Tom Brady departed as a free agent in 2020 with one playoff berth and no postseason wins. The Patriots just concluded a 4-13 and season, which was the worst record in Belichick's tenure. Seattle Seahawks, former coach Pete Carroll, fired on January 10th. His record with the Seahawks is 137 wins against 89 losses and one tie over 14 seasons. So what happened? The Seahawks announced that Carroll will no longer be the team's head coach after a 9-8 and season in which Seattle missed out on the playoffs for the second time in three years a span in which they went 25-26. and 26. 
Harold, the most successful coach in franchise history, is ostensibly transitioning into an advisory role with the Seahawks, but he made it clear during his farewell news conference that he wanted to remain Seattle's coach and that at 72, he still has the juice for the job, which suggests that he'd entertain another head coaching job should the right opportunity arise. Tennessee Titans former coach Mike Vrabel fired on January 9th. His record with the Titans is 54 wins against 45 losses over six seasons. So what happened? The Titans have fired Vrabel, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Vrabel led Tennessee to four consecutive winning seasons after arriving in 2018. But the Titans have experienced back-to-back frustrating seasons, finishing multiple games under 500 both times. The Titans finished 6-11 and 11 this season. Washington Commanders. Former coach Ron Rivera fired on January 8th. His record with the Commanders are 26 wins, 40 losses, and one tie over four seasons. So what happened? New Commanders owner Josh Harris made his first major staffing move since buying the franchise last summer, firing Rivera after four seasons with the team. The Commanders finished the 2023 season 4-13 and after a loss to the Dallas Cowboys in the season finale. Atlanta Falcons. Former coach Arthur Smith fired January 7th. His record with the Falcons was 21 wins and 30 losses over three seasons. So what happened? The Falcons fired Smith after a season-ending 48-17 loss to the rival New Orleans Saints knocked them out of the playoffs for a sixth consecutive season. The Falcons dropped four of their last five games to finish third in a winnable NFC South and missed the playoffs. Atlanta finished 7-10 and in each of Smith's three seasons and could never figure things out at quarterback, volleying back and forth between second-year men Desmond Ritter and veteran Taylor Heineke this season with little success. The Los Angeles Chargers, former coach Brandon Staley, fired on December 15th. His record with the Chargers is an even 24 wins against 24 losses over three seasons. So what happened? After two and a half seasons highlighted by lofty expectations and routine letdowns, the Chargers fired Staley and Delisco after their 63-21 and drubbing by the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 15. The Chargers reached the playoffs once under Stanley in 2022, exiting in a wild-card round with a 27-point-blown lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the third-largest comeback in playoff history. Staley became the second Chargers head coach to be fired midseason since 1970, joining Kevin Gilbride, who was fired in 1998. The Chargers hired Staley because of his success as a defensive coordinator with the L.A. Rams in 2020, but his defenses struggled the past three seasons. Carolina Panthers. Former coach Frank Reich fired November 27th. His record with the Panthers is one win against 10 losses in one lone season. So what happened? Team owner David Tepper fired Reich less than 24 hours after the owner left the locker room muttering an expletive following a 17-10 loss 
to the Tennessee Titans in Week 12. Rice's tenure at Carolina ended with an NFL worst 1-10 record, including an 0-6 mark on the road. He also becomes the first NFL head coach since the 1970 merger to be fired in back-to-back seasons after last year's dismissal from the Indianapolis Colts. Special teams coach Chris Tabor was appointed as interim coach, while offensive coordinator Thomas Brown assumed play-calling duties with help from senior assistant Jim Caldwell. The Las Vegas Raiders former coach Josh McDaniels fired on November 1st. His record with the Raiders is nine, nine wins over 16 losses over two seasons. So what happened? The Raiders fired McDaniels and general manager Dave Ziegler one day after losing 26-14 to at Detroit on Monday Night Football. It was their second consecutive defeat in which the team's offense could get no traction. With the defeat, the Raiders dropped to 3-5. and five. McDaniels and Ziegler, both hired in January of 2022, inherited a 10-7 team that made an unexpected run to the playoffs during the 2021 season. The Raiders named linebackers coach Antonio Pierce as their interim. The team also said that assistant general manager Champ Kelly will serve as the interim general manager. There are some coordinator openings as well. For the New York Giants, former defensive coordinator Wink Martindale parted ways on January 10th. A source had told ESPN that Martindale was expected to resign from his job. That decision came after the team fired two of his closest assistants, moves that prompted Martindale to curse out Brian DeBall, a source confirmed to ESPN. Martindale is free to sign elsewhere without restrictions. The Giants will keep the $3 million he was owed, according to the agreement by both parties. And the Chicago Bears. The Bears. Former offensive coordinator Luke Getze fired on January 10th. The Bears' offensive offense showed improvement in Getze's second season in Chicago, but it was ultimately not enough for the team to move forward with the 39-year-old offensive coordinator. Chicago's offense ranked 17th in offensive points per game at 20.4, which is its highest mark since ranking the 11th in 2018. The passing offense improved from 32nd to 27th, that's 182 yards per game, while the Bears owned the NFL's number two rushing offense. The Bears' season ended with a 17-9 loss at Green Bay, the second time since Week 12 that Chicago failed to score a touchdown. The offense came away with one touchdown combined in its final three road games and was held to 20 or fewer points in 10 games this season. Meanwhile, league sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter that the Bears are keeping head coach Matt Aberflus. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Former defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell got let go on January 8th. One day after the Jaguars failed to make the playoffs after starting the season with an 8-3 record, they fired Caldwell. Coach Doug Pedersen brought Caldwell to the Jaguars when Pedersen was hired in 20 in 2022. The Jaguars' defense allowed 239 passing yards per game this season, which ranked 26th in the NFL. And the Washington Commanders. 
former defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. That name might be familiar as he was a former Broncos coach. Del Rio was fired November 24th. The commanders fired Del Rio after a 45-10 loss to the Cowboys, which was their eighth loss in 10 games. They had hoped that the defense would be a consistent force, but instead the defense became an albatross as the team ranked worst in points allowed. Coach Ron Rivera took over the defensive play calling for the rest of the season. Pittsburgh Steelers. Former offensive coordinator Mac Canada fired November 21st. Citing offensive inconsistencies and lack of improvement, the Steelers fired Canada, who had been the Steelers' offensive coordinator since 2021. Pittsburgh offense struggled through Canada's tenure as offensive coordinator, never eclipsing 400 yards of offense in his 45-game career, including the playoffs. Running backs coach Eddie Faulkner took over offensive coordinator duties, but quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan will take the bulk of the play-calling responsibilities. Buffalo Bills. Former offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey fired November 14th. The Bills made a big change amid a downward turn to the season trending below expectations, firing Dorsey and naming quarterbacks coach Joe Brady as his interim. The move came hours after Buffalo's loss to the Broncos on Monday Night Football as the Bills turned the ball over four times and had a season-high four drops. And, oddly enough, the Steelers and the Buffalo Bills will be playing each other tonight. Actually, that game is this afternoon, a little after 2 o'clock Mountain Time, so by the time you're listening to this, that game will be over, and the next one will start. And that game will be Philadelphia at Tampa Bay. And once again, by the time you are listening to this, it will probably be halftime. All right, the Las Vegas Raiders, their former offensive coordinator was Mick Lombardi, fired November 1st. When the Raiders parted ways with coach McDaniels and general manager Ziegler, they also fired Lombardi with quarterbacks coach Bo hard degree being promoted to offensive coordinator. At the time, the Raiders had the number 31 total offense in the NFL, ranked number 32 in rushing yards per game at 70 yards, and ranked at number 30 in points per game with 15.8. So let's take a deeper dive into why some of these firings happen. We'll start with Pete Carroll and why the Seahawks made a coaching change. This article by Brady Henderson, it took place on January 10th and appeared on ESPN.com from Seattle. The Seahawks have made several big moves over the past nine seasons in an attempt to get back to the top of the NFL after winning Super Bowl 48 and nearly repeating the next season. They've made blockbuster trades and big money free agent signings. They've changed coordinators multiple times on both sides of the ball and overhauled their defense in scheme and in personnel. They've even moved on from a franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson. On Wednesday, they made the biggest move they could, announcing that Pete Carroll is out as head coach after a 14-season tenure, the most successful run in franchise history. So here are five questions surrounding the move and where the Seahawks go from here as they head into the offseason. 
Why did this happen now, and was it completely unexpected? In Carroll's news conference after the announcement, he said, quote, I competed pretty hard to be the coach. I went along with their intentions, end quote. And this came after he said on post-game Sunday and again on Monday that he planned to continue coaching the Seahawks, all of which makes it clear that this decision was made by owner Jody Allen and not Carroll. Allen's statement gave only a vague reasoning, saying the move was in the best interest of the organization, but it's been obvious that the Seahawks have settled into a rut of mediocrity. Since winning the Super Bowl at the end of the 2013 season and nearly repeating as champions the next season, the Seahawks have made the playoffs six times but have failed to advance past the divisional round. Carroll said on his radio show earlier this week that the Seahawks are closer to winning a Super Bowl now than they were a year ago when they also finished 9-8. and eight. But there was no obvious indication of that vision. Seattle's defense regressed and its offense underperformed. Over the past three seasons, the Seahawks are 25 wins against 27 losses, including a wild-card loss that ended their lone playoff appearance in that stretch. In a word, uncertain. Allen, in her statement, said that Carroll will remain with the team as an advisor, though Carroll said the particulars of that role are yet to be determined. The absence of any detail as well as Carroll's obvious desire to remain Seattle's coach contributes to the impression that the Seahawks may be giving him the title of advisor in order to give the best coach in franchise history as dignified of an exit as possible. Carroll has looked as energetic as ever at 72, showing no signs in recent seasons that his passion for coaching has waned. During one of the more spirited moments of his news conference, he said he's freaking jacked and not worn out or tired. That makes it fair to wonder whether he would have interest in coaching another team if the right opportunity arose. We'll have to wait and see, he said, and when asked about that possibility, today's about today. I don't know that. Should Carroll stay put, one thing about his advisor role was made clear on Wednesday. It won't entail him assisting general manager John Snyder in the search for his replacement. Carroll helped hire Schneider in 2010 and had final say over personnel decisions. Schneider is now in the power position in Seattle's front office. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn will be among those on the Seahawks' list of candidates. Quinn has been an obvious possibility in recent seasons while questions about Carroll's coaching future have grown. He has a relationship with Snyder, having had two stints on the Seahawks' coaching staff, including 2009 and 10 as a defensive line coach, and 2013 and 14 as the defensive coordinator. He was the he was the coordinator during their two Super Bowl appearances, overseeing one of the most dominant units in NFL history. The steady decline of Seattle's defense since then is the biggest reason the team is now searching for a new coach. The Seahawks were 25th in points allowed in 2023 and 30th in yards allowed. Deciding whether to keep offensive coordinator Sean Waldron and defensive coordinator Clint Hurt will be first up. Their job statuses have seemed uncertain given the way Seattle has underachieved on both sides of the ball this season. 
The Seahawks' priority on defense was to improve against the run after finishing 30th in 2022 with 150 rushing yards allowed per game. But they regressed after a strong start, finishing one spot lower at 31st with 138 yards allowed per game. Seattle's offense, meanwhile, ranked 18th in scoring with 20 points per game and 21st in yards with 323 per game, and it once again struggled on third down, a long-standing issue for this team. New coaches often prefer to bring in their own coordinators, and the recent underwhelming track records for Hurt and Waldron do not bode well for their chances of sticking around. But what does that mean for quarterback Geno Smith? The next big decision will be with Smith. The Seahawks quarterback was up and down in 2023, and he took a step back statistically in several areas from his Pro Bowl season in 2022. However, Smith also dealt with issues around him on offense and with injuries. He finished 13th in his quarterback rating at 60. Smith's $12.7 million base salary for next season will be fully guaranteed if he is on the roster on February 16th, making that a likely deadline for Schneider and Seattle's next coach to decide on Smith's future. Drew Locke, the number two quarterback, will be a free agent, and the team is drafting at number 16 in April. Linebacker Bobby Wagner will also be a free agent. The Seahawks brought him back last season after Carroll's at Carroll's behest, which further brings into question whether arguably the best defensive player in franchise history will return again in 2024, now that Carroll is no longer calling the shots. And the coaching carousel continues. So who is Jared Mayo? And here is a roadmap for post-Belichick Patriots coach. This article was compiled by the ESPN NFL reporters on January 12th. Came out on ESPN.com. The New England Patriots are hiring Jared Mayo as the 15th head coach in franchise history. And that was a transition that quickly took place after parting ways with Belichick last Thursday. Mayo, who turns 38 on February 23rd, becomes the youngest head coach in the NFL and had been identified as a top target by Patriots owner Robert Kraft for some time. Taking a closer look, Patriots reporter Mike Rice answers four big questions about the Mayo hiring, including what comes next. National reporter Jeremy Fowler dishes on what he's hearing about the hire, and draft analyst Jordan Reed spins it forward to the draft. Finally, front office analyst Mike Tannenbaum grades the hire, so let's get to it. Who is Jared Mayo, and what makes him a good fit? Mike Rice says, Mayo is a former Patriots linebacker from 2008 to 2015 whose leadership was evident when he was elected a captain in his second season, a rare feat in New England. He worked in finance up upon his retirement from football before being recruited back to the coaching staff under Belichick in 2019 to coach the linebackers. Some teammates used to refer to him as Bill Jr. because his combination of football intelligence and long hours reminded them of Belichick. His head coaching candidacy had notable support among defensive players in the locker room, and he previously interviewed with the Eagles and the Broncos. 
The Panthers had requested an interview last year, but Mayo elected to stay in New England. So how did this hire happen so quickly? And here's Rice again. When the Patriots signed Mayo to a contract extension last offseason, they wrote succession plans into the contract that allows them to forego a traditional NFL coaching search. Sources said the projected plan was for that to happen after the 2024 season, but the Patriots' 4-13 and campaign accelerated that timeline. This has similarities to what the Ravens did in their general manager transition from Ozzie Newsom to Eric DeCosta in 2019. The Indianapolis Colts and their head coaching transition from Tony Dungy to Jim Caldwell in 2008. And the Seattle Seahawks and their head coaching transition from Mike Holmgren to Jim Mora, also in 2008. So what are the biggest changes that we can expect moving from Belichick to Mayo? And here's Mike Rice again. Mayo said his approach is to, quote, poach out of love, end quote, because, quote, once you build that relationship with a guy, you can be tough on the players, end quote. That projected culture would be a notable shift from Belichick, who developed strong relations with players through a bottom-line business approach. Also, Belichick had retained final say on personnel for most of his tenure. It's unlikely that the Patriots will give Mayo a final say on personnel. Will the Patriots hire a general manager to work with Mayo? Rice thinks yes, and the search is likely to include internal candidates as well. The current structure has Director of Player Personnel Matt Groh, Director of Scouting Elliot Wolf. Senior Personnel Advisor Patrick Stewart, College Scouting Coordinator Cameron Williams, and Director of Pro Scouting Steve Cargyle in leading roles. So what are you hearing around the league about the hire? Jeremy Fowler says, This is not a shocking move since the Patriots dropped a major hint last offseason when announcing a new contract for Mayo. Rarely do the Patriots announce an assistant coaching extension, but this one, it turns out, was a special case with the groundwork for a succession plan. Mike Vrabel was the natural external fit, but he was more the shiny new toy than an actual candidate, as it turns out. I've heard from a few coaches this morning who would have liked to see the Patriots run a broad search, But since the NFL's revamped hiring practices are designed to provide more opportunities for minority candidates, this is a good one for Mayo, who many league executives have circled as head coach material for a while. Are the Patriots definitely drafting a new quarterback for Mayo at number three? Would the signal callers available there be immediate upgrades over Mac Jones and Bailey Zapp? And Jordan Reed spins that forward by saying the options at number three become even more interesting with Mayo getting the New England job. The Pats are right in the middle of the quarterback hunt and in position to add one of Caleb Williams, add one of Caleb Williams, USC, Drake May of North Carolina, or Jaden Daniels of LSU. Any of them would be an immediate upgrade over the Pats' current personnel under center. The Patriots were 31st in QBR rating this season at 31.5, so it's the biggest need. 
But entertaining a trade-back scenario is also possible with teams like the Giants, Falcons, Vikings, and Raiders all outside the top five and in need of quarterback help. I could see a scenario where the Patriots trade back and pivot to adding a veteran quarterback via free agency or drafting Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington or Bo Nix out of Oregon on day two. New England also lacks talent at the skill positions and could take advantage of a deep wide receiver class. Both starting tackles, Trent Brown and Mike Owenu, are set to become free agents, which also makes offensive tackle an early round possibility. So how would you grade this higher? Mike Tannenbaum says, grade B. I like it from the standpoint that they've got to know Mayo over the years, much the same way they got to know Belichick during the 96 season, where he was the defensive backs coach, before eventually hiring him as their head coach in 2000. But it's really important that Mayo now hires an experienced staff and, ideally, a former head coach as the offensive coordinator. Arthur Smith would fit that bill. And the coaching carousel continues in college football as well. Alabama football coach Nick Saban announces his retirement. This article appeared on January 10th by the Associated Press, and it appeared in publications worldwide. Nick Saban, one of college football's coaching greats who won seven national championships and turned Alabama back into a national powerhouse that included six of those titles, announced his retirement after 17 seasons in Tuscaloosa. The University of Alabama has been a very special place to Terry and me, Saban said in a statement. We have enjoyed every minute of our 17 years being the head coach at Alabama, as well as becoming a part of the Tuscaloosa community. It's not just about how many games we won and lost, but it's about the legacy and how we went about it. We always tried to do it the right way. The goal was always to help players create more value for their future, be the best player they could be, and be more successful in life because they were part of the program. Hopefully we've done that, and we will always consider Alabama our home. Saban, who is 72, just completed his 17th season at Alabama, which ended in a loss to eventual national champion Michigan in the Rose Bowl. He won 201 games, tied with Vince Dooley of Georgia for the second most wins in a single school in SEC history, behind only Bear Bryant, who won 232 games in his 25 seasons with Alabama. Under Bryant, Alabama reached dynastic heights, winning 13 SEC championships and six national titles. Saban returned the Crimson Tide to those heights, winning nine conference crowns and six more national championships. Simply put, Nick Saban is one of the greatest coaches of all time in any sport, says Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne. He is the consummate coach, mentor, and leader, and his impact is felt far beyond the football field. While his time as our coach may have come to an end, his legacy will live on forever. What an honor it has been for us to have a front row seat to one of the best to ever do it. Saban was insistent on telling his players first that he was retiring before it got out publicly. He did so Wednesday 
at in a five o'clock meeting, sources told ESPN. A regular team meeting had already been scheduled for Tuesday, but was rescheduled for Wednesday when some players weren't able to make it back in time because of weather. Saban and his wife, Terry, spent the long weekend at their home in Florida before returning to Tuscaloosa on Monday. Saban spoke to the players and staff in the team rooms for about 15 minutes, informing them that he was retiring. He then told them that Byrne wanted to talk with them. Saban left the room while Byrne was speaking and talked to his staff some more afterwards. For just about everybody in the program, the timing of Saban's announcement was a surprise. He was interviewing potential assistant coaches via Zoom an hour before telling his players that he was retiring. He had also interviewed some candidates on Tuesday and, according to sources, didn't want to continue down that road after finalizing his decision that he was going to retire. In the Wednesday meeting, Saban thanked his players for the way they bought in and told them that he thought out his decision carefully. But with the way college football has changed in terms of the transfer portal and tampering, the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, likeness being used as a guise for bidding for high school players and transfers, and the recruiting calendar being extended, he told his players that the time was right for him to retire. Sources told Lowe that Saban had grown increasingly frustrated with what college football had turned into. He's all about team and building a team and developing players, and now the only thing that seems to matter is who can get what in the NIL and who can get the biggest deal. In his 28 years as a college head coach, a career that included seven national titles, 12 conference championships, 11 with the SEC and one with the MAC, and 19 bowl game wins, Saban never had a losing season. His worst seasons were in 1996 and 98 at Michigan State, finishing an even 500. He made a two-year foray into the NFL with the Miami Dolphins before returning to college football to revive one of college football's most storied programs, which hadn't won a national title in 15 years. He won more games in 17 seasons at Alabama, 201, than the Crimson Tide had won in the 24 seasons between Bryan's retirement and Saban's hiring, and that was 171. Saban is 292 wins against 71 losses and one tie as a college coach, ranking him sixth all-time in the FBS in wins and 12th in NCAA college football history, regardless of the division. He led Toledo to the MAC, the Mid-American Conference Championship in 1990, his lone season as that program's coach. He then worked as Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator with the NFL's Cleveland Browns for four seasons before becoming the first Michigan State coach to lead his first three teams to bowl games and then taking LSU to the 2003 national title. But Alabama is where he cemented his status as one of college football's greatest coaches. After going 7-6 and six in his debut season in 2007, Alabama won at least 10 games in 16 straight seasons under Saban, the longest streak by any program in the AP poll era, which is since 1936. 
This despite playing 107 games against AP-ranked teams during Saban's tenure, 14 more than any other program. He led the Crimson Tide to undefeated national championship seasons in 2009, 14-0 record, and in 2020, a 13-0 record, and the only head coach in the BCS-CFP era since 1998, with multiple undefeated national championship seasons. His seven BCS-CFP national championship wins since 1998 are more than double the amount of any other head coach. Urban Meyer is next with three, Florida and Ohio State, followed by Georgia's Kirby Smart and Clemson's Debo Swinney with two each. He might have lasted just two seasons in the NFL, but Saban continued to coach NFL talent since coming to Alabama. The Crimson Tide had three players selected in the first round of the 23 NFL draft, which included the Tide's first number one overall pick in the common draft era, which is since 1967, in Bryce Young. Saban has had 49 players selected in the first round, including 44 at Alabama, the most of any coach in the common draft era. He also coached Alabama's four Heisman Trophy winners while dominating on the recruiting trail. In the ESPN 300 era since 2006, no coach has had more number one recruiting classes than Saban, who boasted eight of the 18 number one overall classes during that span, despite not taking over at Alabama until 2007. No other head coach has more than three number one classes. Words cannot adequately express our appreciation to Coach Saban for his exemplary leadership and service to the University of Alabama over the past 17 years, says Alabama President Stuart R. Bell. His commitment to the excellence has set the standard for our program, both on the field and in the classroom. We are grateful for the lasting impact that he has made on the lives of our student-athletes and the incredible memories that his teams have created for our students, alumni, fans, and supporters. Just as legendary as Saban's coaching resume is his coaching tree, as his tutelage helped launch the head coaching careers of Smart, Texas's Steve Sarkazian, and old Mrs. Lane Kiffin, among others. Other notable head coaches who were part of Saban's staffs include Mario Cristobal at Miami, Brent Key at Georgia Tech, Dan Lanning at Oregon, who was graduate assistant under Saban, and Mike Loxley in Maryland. Under Saban, the Crimson Tide reached the college football playoff in eight of the ten seasons in the CFP era. He finished just shy of the top in his final season, leading the Tide from a shaky start to an upset of then-number-one Georgia in the SEC championship game and back into the college football playoff before falling in overtime to Michigan in a semifinal game at the Rose Bowl. In August of 2022, Saban signed a contract extension through February of 2030 worth nearly $94 million that, again, made him the highest-paid coach in college football. When asked at the time if he would still be here throughout the remainder of his contract extension, Saban had a ready answer. Still alive, he joked. I sure plan to be here coaching. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey feels Saban isn't done entirely with college football. 
Knowing Nick, he's not walking away from the game. He's walking away from a role, says Sankey, who was in Phoenix attending the NCAA convention when he heard about the news of Saban's retirement. With Saban retiring, Mark Stoops at Kentucky is now the longest-tenured SEC coach since 2013. Regarding who will lead the Crimson Tide going forward, Burns said his goal in, in the search for a new coach is to be thorough but expedient. Our ideal candidate will be strong in recruiting and relationship building, player development, excel in X's and O's, and have the overall ability to lead this historic program. There will be plenty of rumors out there during this process. Next time I talk publicly will be to announce our new coach. If you don't hear from me, if you don't hear it from me, don't believe it, says Byrne. Alabama's odds to win next season's national championship move from 6-1 to one to 8-1 to one at ESPN Bet after Saban's retirement was reported. The Crimson Tide have the third shortest odds behind Georgia and Ohio State. So here's Nick Saban's head coaching record. The 1990 season, he was with Toledo. He had a nine wins against two loss record. At Michigan State from 1995 to 99, he had 34 wins, 24 losses, and one tie. From 2000 to 2004 at LSU, he had a 48 and 16 record. In 2005 and 6 with the Dolphins, he had a 15 wins against 17 loss record. From 2007 to 2023 at Alabama, he had 201 wins against 29 losses. And Alabama spent the most weeks in the AP poll at number one. And that's more than any other program not named Alabama in poll history, and that's since 1936. Nick Saban had 109 weeks at number one, all of them with Alabama. Ohio State comes in second with 105. Oklahoma at 101. Notre Dame at 98, and USC with 91. And before Nick Saban, Alabama only had 31 weeks at number one before Nick Saban arrived. This next article is by Bill Connolly. He's a staff writer for ESPN. Came out on January 10th on ESPN.com. Why Nick Saban is the best college football coach ever. For an entire era, Nick Saban completely broke the definition of success in college football. Mark Wright won at least nine games in 11 of 15 years at Georgia with two conference titles and seven top 10 finishes, just one fewer than the legendary Vince Dooley had in 25 years. Wright was fired after the last of those nine win seasons. Les Miles never won fewer than eight games in 11 full seasons at LSU. He won a national title with five top 10 finishes, more than the Tigers had managed in the 35 years before his hire. He was fired after losing two games early in 2016. After a run of six straight top three finishes with two national titles, Debo Swinney's Clemson has merely averaged 10 wins over the past three years 
and it kind of seems like a crisis. Lincoln Riley has won 65 games in six full-length seasons, and Ryan Day has won 46 in four seasons, and they're both facing extreme pressure and doubt. And while I'm not going to pretend that this is all because of one man at Tuscaloosa, losing three straight to Michigan, as Day has, will always test the patience of Ohio State fans, for instance. Saban's relentlessly consistent success scrambled the brains of fans and administrators throughout the sport. Simply put, Nick Saban was the best, most successful coach in college football history. No one, not Bear Bryant, not Bobby Bowden, not Bud Wilkinson, not Bernie Bierman, not Frank Lehay, not Woody Hayes, not Walter Camp, can match his seven national titles. And while the college football playoff didn't come into existence until Saban had already won four titles, it will still take Swinney two more trips or Kirby Smart five more trips to match Saban's eight appearances in 10 years. Not even just the titles, though. Fluky losses happen, and they can derail title bids. But even when Saban's Alabama teams didn't win the title, they were almost always title-worthy. So here's a complete list of teams that have finished either first or second in SP+, my opponent-adjusted power rating, for at least five straight seasons. And just to clarify, SP+, is a tempo and opponent-adjusted measure of college football efficiency. The measure can be used to predict how well teams stack up compared to the average team in college football. And I had to look that up. All right. Penn State from 1894 to 1898, and that's just five years. And Michigan in 1901 to 1905, also five years. And these, once again, are teams that finished either first or second in his SP plus ranking. Georgia Tech from 1917 to 1921, also five years. USC from 1925 to 1929, five years. Old Miss from 59 to 1963, five years. Miami from 1986 to 1991, six years. Yale from 1884 to 1895, 12. And Alabama from 2009 to 2021, 13, finishing either first or second. Miami's five-year run of near perfection was good enough to inspire a 30-for-30. 30 30. It was the only run of its kind between the mid-60s and the mid-2000s. But in an era of 85-man scholarship limits with tougher national title runs, a guaranteed one-versus-two matchup starting in 1998, a four-team playoff starting in 2014, Saban's Crimson Tide more than doubled Miami's run and topped that of even late 1800s Yale, which had to compete with only a few dozen football-playing schools. And even that doesn't fully capture the brilliance of Saban's run because it doesn't capture the complete and total reinvention that happened halfway through it. Saban won BCS national titles in 2009, 11, and 12 with otherworldly defense. SB12, in fact, grades the 2011 unit, which allowed only 8.2 points per game and just 3.3 yards per play, 
pitched a shutout in the BCS championship and allowed more than 14 points just once all season as the best defense in college football history. But he saw that the sport was becoming far less more offense-oriented. This is what we want football to be, he famously asked, of the sport's increasing tempo and point totals in 2012. But as the joke goes, he wasn't complaining. He was just confirming. Because starting with the hire of Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator in 2014, he shifted his program emphasis more to that side of the ball. It used to be that good defense beats good offense, he told ESPN's Chris Lowe in 2020. Good defense doesn't beat good offense anymore. It used to be that if you had a good defense, other people weren't going to score. You were always going to be in the game. I'm telling you, it ain't that way anymore. So be it. After ranking either first or second in defensive SP Plus for 10 straight years from 2008 to 17, his tide ranked first on offense for five straight years from 2018 to 2022. He completely reinvented his program, and its overall level never really dropped. The Tide continued to rank first or second overall every year and never went more than three years without another national title until 2023. It stands to reason that even when Bama's level finally dropped a bit, even as the offense briefly battled its first quarterback crisis in years, and the Tide lost at home to Texas by 10 points and had to survive four one-score finishes and a number of performances that were mediocre by their standards, Saban's final team still went 11-1 and in the regular season, won the SEC, and derailed Georgia's nearly two-year winning streak and hopes of a third straight national title. The Tide unjustly secured a CFP bid over unbeaten Florida State, but whether it was deserved or not, they damn near beat eventual national champion Michigan once they got there. Saban seemed to hate dealing with collectives and the NIL era, and he dipped into the transfer portal only so much but he continued to clear an impossibly high bar when it came to procuring talent. And his worst team in 15 years was still excellent by the standards of anyone other than Saban himself. During his time dominating college football, he was also defining the future of it, hiring the coaches who would occupy seemingly every major job around him. At Michigan State, he hired future MSU head coach, playoff participant, and soon-to-be Hall of Fame inductee Mark D'Antonio. At LSU, Saban employed future national champion Jimbo Fisher, plus future SEC head coaches Will Muschamp and Dooley, and future NFL head coaches Pat Shermer and Adam Gacy. The Bama staff was constantly raided by rivals, hoping to find their own Sabans. Current Texas head coach Steve Sarkazian, old Mrs. Lane Kiffin, Oregon's Dan Lanning, Florida's Billy Napier, Maryland's Mike Loxley, Miami's Mario Cristobal, Indiana's Kurt Signetti, Marshall's Charles Huff, Arkansas State's Butch Jones, and Central Michigan's Jim McElwin are among the active coaches who spent time under Saban in Tuscaloosa, as is as is the New York Giants' Brian Dayball. Hell, even Saban's Miami Dolphins staff featured a number of future NFL coaches. Then there was Kirby Smart, 
The former Georgia safety landed on Saban's LSU staff in 2004 and then scored an assistant role with Saban's Dolphins in 2006. And from 2007 to 2015, Smart was the veritable right-hand man for the sport's best coach. In 2016, he replaced Wright at UGA and proceeded to build the only death star that could consistently rival Saban's. Georgia lost a heartbreaker to Bama in 2017's national title game, but returned the favor in 2021 and then won a second title a year later. The Dogs have finished either first or second in SP Plus for three straight years, and while that's still 10 years short of Saban's incredible run, if any active coach has a chance of matching Saban's exploits, it's his greatest protege. Saban's last win, by the way, came over smart, and there's some poetry in that. Michigan State had been stuck in a rut when Saban began his first Power 5 head coaching job there in 1995. The Spartans had averaged just 5.9 wins per season in the seven years prior to his arrival, and after a few years of laying the groundwork, his final MSU team went 10-2 with a top-10 finish in 1999. LSU had been regarded as a sleeping giant for decades when Saban moved to Baton Rouge in 2000. The Tigers had enjoyed only one top-five finish between 1962 and 1999 and had averaged only five-and-a-half wins over the previous 12 years. Saban Saban averaged 9.6 wins, breaking through with a 10-win champion campaign in 2001 and a national title in 2003. Alabama, of course, was a spectacular mess when he finally gave in to athletic director Mal Moore's persistent pleas and signed up after a brief sojourn in the NFL. Despite winning the 1992 national title, the Tide had averaged 8.1 wins per year with three top five finishes in the 24 years since Bear Bryant had retired. Between 1997 and 2006, the school cranked through four head coaches and finished 500 or worse on five occasions. Boosters and administrators were pulling the program in about 17 different directions, but after a single transition year, Saban had everything aligned and he unleashed a run of dominance that we might never see again. Alabama chose Kalen DeBoer as its new head coach, and we will get into that next week. So this has been the coaching carousel issue for Sports News. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Sports News. My name is Philip Bradbury. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777.